this time. Airlines enjoy profitable second quarter as yields stay strong, but is a market normalisation around the corner? And despite all the challenges, the startups keep coming. My name's Graham Dunn, and joining me as ever is airline business editor Lewis Harper. Hi, Lewis. Hi, Graham. How are you? Yes, good, good. But enjoying these summer days, the summer days of, of the aviation industry where I guess there's a sort of a slowing of the the natural news cycle but that all comes off the back of the the second quarter results which we uh, season that we've seen and it's been a very interesting quarter actually I suppose you've, you've got several trends that have carried on they're overridingly quite a positive quarter for airlines but one with some warning signs along the way I guess. Yeah on the positive side you're right we're still seeing the much talked about pent-up demand is is still a theme at most airlines. Um, they're still benefiting from that. At the same time, um, while some carriers are, you know, above pre-COVID levels capacity-wise, there are still um, many that aren't. So the three big European airline groups, for example, while maybe one or two parts of them are above pre-COVID levels capacity-wise, they're still largely trending below that. And um, in some cases, we know well that that isn't necessarily all through choice either because there are still capacity constraints um, that you know when when you're a, a big player in a market isn't necessarily a bad thing in the short term anyway in terms of of what it does to your finances because you know there is such strong demand that you know for what capacity is available it's it's selling very well and we're seeing you know strong load factors and, and yields pretty high year on year but having said that while the prevailing narrative is a positive one looking into the, the current quarter as well. I think most airlines are expecting some fairly impressive revenue figures, for example. There is also sort of the first indications, as we hinted at, that, that we might see of, of some airlines maybe seeing that pent up demand falling away slightly as we look certainly towards the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. You, It has been a, another very positive period, the strong yields and revenue picture. I sensed there was a kind of, you know, listening to some of the calls that, you know, people were starting to look, you know, at what comes next. And I don't think there's any kind of clear picture of what what comes next. And I think, you know, most airlines and executives were saying that they felt, you know, that their airline was very well placed uh, for <laughs> dealing with what came next. But I think there is, you know, people are starting to think about what might happen with yields, whether they can continue at the levels that they can, and then what, what happens on capacity as well. And I think what you what you're saying about capacity is interesting. You have um on the Lufthansa Lufthansa, for example, they're in a, an airline where, you know, capacity is still as a whole behind on where it where it was pre uh COVID, a lot of that based on the slow slower pickup on Asia Pacific routes and a kind of knock on on the feeder traffic. Austin Spall, the chief executive of Lufthansa, was talking about, you know, taking some of the buffer out that they'd had in had in this year. And, you know, I think the other thing to remember, I think probably airlines across the board is that they had generally put in a bit more buffer in the network. They're perhaps not running things as hyper efficiently as they were before, just to make sure that there was a robustness in the schedules this summer. And uh, and Spall was talking at Lufthansa about being ready to sort of to return to to more natural levels of uh, of efficiency, uh, taking some of that buffer out, you know, as they got confidence in the market that they had. So you'd see some kind of increase, but of course, increasing capacity isn't easy because there remain wider supply chain issues which are impacting an airline's ability to add capacity. 
Yeah, that's right. And we've talked about them before, whether it's, you know, it's pretty common now an airline chief executive will tell you that uh, on-time delivery for a new aircraft is six months late. It's kind of become the the normal there. But also, you know, we, we know well about, you know, the, the MRO and um, other issues with with engines in particular on several, uh, particularly the, the newer generation aircraft. We're talking about, you know, here at Air Baltic, for example, it's it's not just one or two aircraft. I think the they said in the second quarter they were on average eleven of their A220s were were, were grounded um, at any one time. So it's a, it's a huge proportion of their fleet, probably about twenty five percent. So so yeah, that these these are big capacity constraints that uh, most people you know can't see ending you know certainly in the next twelve months or so. I think it's kind of a thing that everyone is having to deal with. Um, and yeah, you talk about that buffer coming out. I mean, the the other big issue, obviously the a lot of airlines facing around the world at higher costs and it certainly will help if like um Spore said there's a the level normalization where you don't feel you need that that extra capacity buffer in there to maintain normal operations so that would probably help on the cost side but certainly I doubt that would be enough to offset you know with the impact of inflation on on salaries and everything you know it's um been a period where these high yields and revenues um have yeah, been more than offsetting those extra costs. I think what, what will be interesting to watch is what happens when when those yields drop. And um, I think that's going to be one of the key themes of the winter, really. In many ways, yeah, this is the normalisation of the market. So yeah, we know we talked a lot historically about how the airline industry isn't awash with airlines that make money. It, you know, when you look at the industry profitability as a whole, it's often driven by a small number, particularly North American carriers that make big profits and a lot of other carriers are often on the on the edges of profitability and, and, and losing money. So um, it's not a new thing, but I certainly feel like, you know, the high, the high cost environment is going to become a much more noticeable, I think, for a number of carriers. And when you look away from the last three years, that that's that's, I guess, nothing new. But I guess the, the key dynamic there is that, you know, a lot of carriers have extra debt they've taken on during COVID. So managing in that environment is probably going to be a bit harder for them but but yeah we're, we're not there yet as you say and, and I, I guess it's not every airline that is talking about that being an imminent threat or indeed even something they see happening this year it was quite interesting certainly on the the european calls airline calls um ryanair was among the first to present their results for the quarter and michael o'leary was talking about expecting a kind of uh, a dampening in in fares you know the high levels that we'd seen uh, falling away a little bit, and, every, and everyone was asked that same question on the calls, and all of them said, "Well, I, I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. We're not, uh, not seeing anything from our side. Uh, I can't speak for Michael." Whilst all caveating, as they regularly do, that the kind of the booking windows, you know, and visibility is really limited. So it is interesting to see, you know, whether it's glass half full or not, on how long that strong yield environment will work. It was an interesting question on the on the Lufthansa call. Customs Spore got asked around adding capacity as they look to add more capacity back. And this is the same for, for all airlines. There is a question that has, to some extent, the low-hanging fruit been done. You know, if, if an airline is restoring its operations, especially with a tight capacity around it, would the focus really be on the most profitable of routes? And then everything else that gets added back is perhaps the less profitable. So there is that question, as we talked about before, around 
as you add more capacity into the market, it, it not only has an impact in terms of, you know, overcapacity tends to lead to uh, low affairs and so forth, but also there's an element to which you're perhaps adding back the less profitable routes or, or, or starting new routes, which which take longer to develop. Um, and it was interesting, the sport certainly was quite sort of, he was quite robust in, in the response in terms of, you know, certainly for them, you know, there are a number of routes and it is quite a good reminder that, you know, we are as we come out of COVID, as we come out of pandemic, which, you know, we, it's still not that long ago in the rearview yeah. mirror that that markets were still building up. So he was sort of talking about China, for example, as one that one of their more lucrative routes, but wasn't, you know, the demand wasn't there. The opportunity wasn't there to add that back. Whereas since that market's reopened, conditions starting to um, improve on the demand side then there becomes an opportunity and, and you know that's the same for a lot of asia so i suppose there is an argument that you know just because a route hasn't been added back yet that doesn't necessarily mean that it won't be quite a good one for the bottom line i thought that was quite an interesting kind of take on that whole kind of network restoration side of things yeah i suppose equally you there, there may be and probably the person asking the question probably partly thinking that you know in a capacity strained environment you know we, we all know that leisure has been driving a lot of the recovery over the past 12 months, particularly premium leisure. So we're seeing premium cabins busier than ever in some cases. Um, but obviously a, a theme that people don't highlight quite as much on those earnings calls is that corporate travel is, uh, as it stands, is, is still has a, a very long way to go to recovery. So when, yeah, when you talk about those kind of certain routes and having room to come back, I suppose the counter argument might be, well, if that leisure pent up demand falls away, particularly in the premium cabins and um, corporates only, you know, 60, 70 percent back to pre-COVID levels, then you can start to see why there might be some concern over where that leaves an airline, certainly on some some routes. So, again, it's it's all of this, this pent up demand and how you know, does it fall quickly? How hard does it fall is all, I think, going to be very relevant. And IAG talked about um, corporate travel kind of recovery stalled, I think, in the second quarter. They expect it to be up again in, in the current quarter, but certainly it's um, in volume terms, particularly nowhere near um, 2019 levels, even if, you know, as in common with uh, the rest of the cabin, the, the yields are have been pretty decent. So, so yeah, I think there's a, a dynamic there where um, you know, if the leisure travel normalises in an environment where corporate isn't anywhere near back to where it was, then... No one's talking about disaster, I think, at this point, but it is a, a kind of a more normalisation, I think, where we those highs um, fall away and where you know, the, the realities of the market start to hit home, particularly for some of the carriers that were always on the edge of profitability kind of pre-COVID. What was interesting also in the, U the US market, you also saw how uh, those demand levels shift into different markets as different consumer habits change and alter and it was quite interesting there was a there was you know quite a narrative around around the growth of international travel for the u.s carriers for most u.s carriers you know another very successful quarter but there was a, a question a little bit as to what extent that had come at the expense of domestic travel exactly yeah and again we talk about i think there's a sense that and more than one carrier said this i think spirit frontier JetBlue all talked about they were seeing, I guess, a degree of normalisation. So the domestic market, obviously, the US had been quicker out of the traps from COVID because obviously being a domestic market, it didn't face those restrictions. So it kind of enjoyed particularly 2022 was a really 
strong year for domestic travel. And then I think there's a sense among some airlines that that's fading away a bit. So we're not talking about disastrous falls or anything. We're talking about demand and maybe fares moderating a bit. But at the same time, because, you know, this summer, as you, as you talked about, it's easy to forget. It's not easy to forget, but, but sometimes <laughs> it's surprising to remember how recently we still had quite significant COVID restrictions and even reticence to, to travel internationally because in 2022 we really weren't, you know, Omicron had happened over the, the winter and we really weren't a long way away from a period where travelling was was a real nightmare. So as we, in 2023, it's kind of a year where, you know, international travel is, is sort of fully reopened, you know, even with the surprise addition of China to that, even their capacity is way down still. But there's obviously an element that this, certainly in the US market, that this summer is is international travel's chance to really benefit from that pent-up demand. I think, like you say, some carriers, say Frontier, said it did a survey among its customers, and there they saw that there was a genuine shift in people saying they were going to spend money on travel to Europe in particular, rather than intra-US travel. I mean, we know there are particular reasons, like the strength of the dollar, that make travelling, if you're based in the US, to Europe quite attractive at the moment. But yeah, I think that that's just showing this kind of normalisation starting to ripple through those markets and particularly one like the US where they were already ahead in the recovery in, in, in many senses domestically. That's also reflected slightly in, in another market in Turkey where we know that they had a large domestic market that was particularly strong last last summer and, and Pegasus, the low-cost carrier there, were talking about how the current quarter, so the third quarter of this year, how its unit revenues and I think its results overall are going to look weaker year on year, almost inevitably, because last year was so strong. And again, they're talking about this kind of degree of market normalisation. You know, capacity is has come back in despite the, the challenges we've seen. More markets are now open. And I think the airline industry has gone through a, a number of years where year on year comparisons always looked pretty good because we were emerging from the, the biggest ever crisis. But we're starting to see now, I think we'll start to see that in some cases, and I think there are already indications in the second quarter of this, actually, that some of that bounce coming out of COVID starts to fade away. Again, just to reiterate, this isn't, we're not talking about a crisis situation again or anything, but, you know, it, it will start to show through in results. I think that next stage actually then becomes around to what extent have have airlines been smart about their restructuring, been smart mm. about the businesses and the markets that they've gone they've gone back into i think that will become much more ev- much more evident and you're starting to see probably more strategic plays uh, emerging we certainly we are seeing that in terms of increased m a and and so forth you know to some extent i think for us covering airline results over over the past year year or so it's been quite uniform because airlines regardless of of where they were in the cycle were kind of on this upward up upward curve and you know some are going at different paces and some are pressing ahead and and taking market share and some had a far more cautious uh, approach and maybe focusing on profit levels and all around it there is you know the question of you know are airlines in better shape to withstand you know increased costs and perhaps a relenting in in fares and yields albeit you know i think no one fully yet knows where the fares and yields are going to land and you know cargo is as ever much much further ahead in the in the cycle and that you know we've seen a succession of airlines report lower uh, cargo yields this time around uh, (laughs) cargo revenues this time around but of course for most those cargo you know those that have expanded into cargo is still 
forms a, a larger part of the business than it did pre-COVID. The revenues are still stronger than than pre-pandemic. And again, the question is, where is that settling point? Yeah, and it is. And it's, it's all about this um, normalisation. As you say, I think this this will be a test what's what's coming over the next 12 months. As you say, like there's been a bit of a false period where, where we've had these extremely high yields, this yeah, constraint capacity will carry on, I think, for some time, as I said. But equally, I think that pent up demand will moderate and it really will be a test of whether airlines did enough during COVID to to, to really get their, particularly their fundamental cost base to get that under control. You know, and, and that's already being tested by the, the inflationary environment, particularly and the, the strong dollar when it comes to particularly buying buying fuel and and all of these facts. And yeah, that, that's what's going to be interesting in this coming period really but if you know cargo as you'd say if that continues on its current trend it won't be long before it is kind of back to 29 levels um i think in that regard i think the cargo market's shown that it's um in its volatility over the last four years that as much as you know at times in covid people were wishing for it to be a kind of permanent structural change that it would it would be this bigger part of the, the revenue mix that that those kind of assumptions are are dangerous and i think while in some cases you know, things like e-commerce will will drive some you know structural change above 2019 levels i think in many cases um we we are looking at at it falling back to to where it was um yeah and that that might change again who who knows what what's coming but but certainly that there's a volatility there that um, might make some people maybe regret some of the commitments they might have made in terms of fleet in that that area but but anyway yeah that that's um again all part of this normalization but yeah the, the the real thing is you know have you done enough you talk to ceos like you said and and everyone says that they've done more than than others to make sure they're they're kind of ready for for whatever the the market throws at it but um the the, the test will come i guess in, in in the coming months it's a slightly weird like i say a slightly weird situation where you you're getting airlines posting record revenues record <laughs> profits in many cases and it all looks good and we don't quite know when that normalisation uh, will come, but you know, it, I certainly thought it was interesting that it that it, that it was on the radar of of airlines in this last mm. quarter. Yeah, exactly. It sort of reminds me of being a football fan where your team wins the league and you you sort of celebrate it for a little while, but then you're very quickly worried about what's going to happen next season, and and you quickly realise that um you just need to enjoy maybe the <laughs> the high moments and uh, and and mark them and celebrate them and. Um, and then, then carry on doing your best um, with whatever the the coming season throws at you. I suppose inevitably, as journalists, we 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 kind of look at the um the challenges that are coming ahead. But I think we've said before that you know most airline chief executives would have given anything to be where most airlines are today financially, in terms of certainly in terms of the short term kind of revenue cost mix. And as I say, we're not talking about you know impending disaster. We're we're just talking about the realities of we were always going to face these you know economic normalization i think and you know it's, it's almost inevitable that some airlines will carry on probably surfing the way for this pent-up demand for longer than others but i think it's important to mark that yeah there is a definite shift in the narrative in some cases but yeah so um, lots of things to keep an eye on as ever um, and we'll try not to just focus on the negatives but because uh, <laughs> as i say it's um there's plenty to celebrate as well at the moment i think excellent well we will celebrate some more on more airlines after the break
So welcome back. And as we said at the top of the show, it's the funny thing about this industry, isn't it, Lewis, that no matter how difficult it is, and it is, you know, at times extremely difficult, there seems to be no shortage of of people who want to get involved in this industry. No, that's it. You you sort of um you look over the the COVID period, so you think that the industry going through its you know toughest crisis ever, and you you still see it you know throughout the world. There were still examples of people uh, attempting to to start up carriers. I mean, obviously, you know, crises bring opportunities in theory. So. You know, in the depths of the crisis, there is a sense that there would be aircraft available. <laughs> Imagine that um, from where we are now. But but yeah, that, so that kind of thing. But you're right. I don't know whether it's um and, you know, being so close to the airline industry, I'm not sure how unique it is to this industry, but it certainly feels like it. It has more than its fair share of people with ambitions to enter. And it. it almost feels like the more consolidated it gets and the more people say this is such a tough industry to get into. Um, there's 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 people who still see that as a challenge and attempt to go into it. But, you know, we've seen over the past few days, I guess, um, some of the uh, the challenges that come with doing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And sort of from a, from a news topic, certainly in the UK, there was a fair amount of publicity around a plan to revive Monarch Airlines, the UK charter carrier that um, collapsed well, 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 well before the pandemic now. And I mean, that was an interesting story because, well, is an interesting story because kind of no sooner had plans for the carrier emerged, then it sort of had to go on on hold a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah, it seems like, you know, just an hour or two before we recorded, I mean, only, um, you know, 24, 48 hours ago, this revived business, which was kind of launched in mid-August, were putting out you know, designs for their livery. And, you know, they're already talked about, you know, aiming to launch next year. Um, but yeah, as I say, in the last hour or two, we've... Um, seen a statement on the, the the business website saying its startup funding has has run out much more quickly than expected so it's essentially on hold and i think the implication is unless they can get a new source of funding in then that project may already be looking in, incredibly unlikely to get off the ground so i think this, this is an interesting one i think um you know it's undeniable that monarch certainly in the uk has some relatively strong brand recognitions whether that be true to the next generation of, of flyers is questionable but obviously it's, it's still a, a recognized brand it was a, a big failure when it happened in in 2017 um but equally and this is often the case with startups you have to think about what market they're entering and what what they're going to deliver that isn't already there and i think um monarch is clearly you know, it's a short-haul carrier. That was the plan to relaunch with A320s. Um, it's aimed at leisure markets. You know, and look at the UK market today, for example. We know how strong EasyJet, Ryanair, Jet2 are in, in that sector before you even start thinking about, you know, BA's growing operation at Gatwick, for example. Um, so I suppose the question is there, what, what, what would it bring to the market that isn't already there? You know, that's not to say that startups will always fail. But I think it, it was um, it was a it was a slightly baffling one, certainly for me, about what what they were going to bring that the market desperately needed, particularly in an environment where the existing carriers are struggling to get enough aircraft and the kind of systems creaking under the pressure in the UK we've seen of peak travel. You know what what was new from a revived monarch. So it may be that we I guess never find out, unfortunately for them. It's it's interesting because and in the UK we, we've had the revival of Flybe. Uh, which proved uh, relatively short-lived. In India, we've seen, you know, it's been a 
pretty torturous path for jet airways an airline which mm. collapsed a similar time about a year or so before um a flyby and you know again reviving that business has been on the cards in one form or another and again that hasn't been an easy an easy berth that carrier has actually just had its aoc renewed uh, which gives it further uh, optimism for hope coming back to your you know a similar point you know in, in india what happens is you as other carriers move in you know indigo's got stronger they've continued to take share you have the revamped air air india in, in this case with uh, tata and um you've got a casera startup which is sort of hungrily operating in that space so while these established names and brands have a value, the market around them does change. The other thing that's been interesting about some of the, the startups we've seen is that they're kind of, you can see traces of former models, but in, in certain aspects, you have a twist and a, and a play on them. So if, if you pardon the, uh, the pun on that, Play uh, is a very interesting airline, the Icelandic carrier, which was, you know, very influenced by WOW, of using a, a chunk of the WOW business uh, and operation model and focusing on that rather than the wider elements. But then you have another start of an airline which we're expecting to launch flights as we speak, which is the Air. That That's an airline that is looking to revive the uh, all premium model. Yeah, and the all premium model is one that's that's always fascinating. You sort of on paper, you think, well, this can make some sense. I think in, in that case, it's, it's quite a, you know, a very specific market there serving bermuda from the us obviously a, a, quite a leisure focused market there and i think when you, you look at all premium elsewhere as i say on paper it, it seems to make some sense but i think often you know we've seen ba dropped its its small premium operation i think at the the outset of the pandemic i think like company in the french carrier is, is is making some success of one or two routes in in its network between europe and, and north america but as a model, it's, it's never really had much traction. I think when you know, you're talking about the Bermuda markets, it's, it's going to be very different from from some of those others we, I was just talking about. So I don't know if you'd take much from what's happened before there. But I think there is um, undeniably um, when you the all premium model does bring some challenges around, you know, that lack of revenue mix means you're quite vulnerable, you know, say in an economic downturn, for example, um, when you, you don't have the option to, to pack people into an e- economy cabin. In other cases as well, I think when you, you think about corporate markets, for example, I think a lot of corporate travellers will, will value the flexibility that comes from the multiple frequencies that standard aircraft will be flying. For example, on transatlantic, where, you know, if your business meeting overruns, you've, you've got the option to move on to a flight two hours later, whereas these small sort of all premium operations tend to be kind of one flight a day sort of operations which don't offer that flexibility. So, so yeah, the, 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 there is a niche market there. Another example we, we've seen, there's been quite a lot of headlines over the past couple of months and headlines, understandably, because, because the Airbus A380 is involved. So we have mm. this UK startup idea, Global Airlines, which is looking to start services next summer, transatlantic from Gatwick to uh, New York and to, to Los Angeles using A380s. Now, that's, you know, that is a market people haven't been in a rush to get into using the A380. But, you know, as ever, you find uh, people who who think they can create a, you know, a different market or a different model where they can make it work. Yeah, that that will certainly be uh, an interesting to one to, to watch. Uh, it's a fascinating idea. Objectively, you look at the fact that 
quite a lot of airlines are at best, you know, slowly phasing out the A380s if they haven't dropped them all together. And those are airlines that in many cases would have had feeder into their yeah, hubs to, to feed those A380 flights. The kind of point to point idea from somewhere like Gatwick with a huge aircraft that's, that's costly to run is is a starting point that sounds a bit scary on paper, I would say. So, you know, there's a reason why these aircraft are kind of on the decline in, in many markets. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see if they can get that off the ground. Um, and again, it's, it's kind of uh, I think what you can say for them is they are doing something a bit different, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly the point, you know, and a lot of, you know, a lot of these carriers are, are seeking to try and find that niche. And it reminds me a lot of Norwegian and um, when Norwegian went long haul, real pioneering stuff. And in fact, Norwegian, as it turned out, may not be the airline that's, that's lived to make the most of some of the pioneering work it, it did. Uh, Norwegian has kind of restructured, found its feet again, but very much focused on the short haul, you know, in a very different model from from the one that expanded on bringing uh, low cost long haul to transatlantic. And that's had a, a, you know, a much wider impact than perhaps, you know, Norwegian itself didn't benefit. But, it, it you know, that someone like Global is looking at operating transatlantic out of Gatwick is perhaps another example of, of you know, one of those, the legacy of, of Norwegian. It is, yeah. I mean, and like you say, the, the, the interesting thing about Norwegian is that its impact wasn't so much, you know, it didn't um, necessarily make a particularly big financial success out of its long haul um, operations as, you know, the years of restructuring it's gone through demonstrate. But what it did do is shake up the market and what someone like Global could do if they're selling 580 seats on a transatlantic flight is the impact it can have on on competitors even if it isn't filling that aircraft you know which it clearly probably needs to do to to, to be a success the impact it can have on competitors is still quite significant because you chuck in you know what you know if they've got three a380s for example flying out of gatwick you know what's that 1500 seats whatever a day and that's a huge addition to to a particular market and it will almost certainly drag fares down I guess they'll be expected to take some traffic that might otherwise have gone through Heathrow. So these startup, even if they aren't successes in the, in their own terms, can have a or disruptors. Sorry, in the case of Norwegian, when they they went long haul, the nature of being a disruptor is you you have an impact perhaps on on other carriers more more than you necessarily make a success of your own business. And of course, interestingly, IAG were at one point I think relatively close to acquiring uh, Norwegian and of course the launch of the level business for example was seen as a defensive move you know they could see those those yields being affected on on their transatlantic routes and needed a kind of response to that so that you know and, and that's another example where this airline starting up at Gatwick with a with a, a fresh idea on how they're going to do things may prompt a rethink for some carriers on, on what they do out of Gatwick for example. And of course, um, talking about Gatwick and long haul, um, while we've seen some of the more legacy carriers leave that market to an extent, we've also got uh, Norse Atlantic in there who are uh, kind of the, the Norwegian successor carrier. People who were involved with Norwegian pre-COVID are involved in that carrier and they are doing you know, wide body long haul services uh, across the Atlantic from Gatwick. So um, from that point of view, uh, global airlines won't be on their own. I think it's fairly early days for Norse Atlantic still. All the more reason why global airlines, I think, by chucking a load of capacity into the market will will shake things up, I think, whatever happens. You touched on it earlier. I mean, we did see slightly counterintuitively, we did probably see more airlines start up than we saw 
uh, mm. collapsed during the immediate aftermath of uh, the pandemic. As you say, I mean, I suppose that's because many carriers were on kind of life support, which probably, you know, in some cases maybe extended their operations. And exactly as you say, there were you could get aircraft at that point. And it is interesting, you know, you see in the US carriers like Breeze and Avalo started in that in the aftermath of the crisis you know and we've we've uh at flight global we've just spoken to a couple of airlines who recently start started in so we have uh starlux the taiwanese carrier you know that's an airline that launched i think in january 2020 you couldn't get a much worse timing for for launching but you know over the past year or so they have been able to grow they continued to bring in aircraft they've got new airbus aircraft coming in the a320neos they've got a350s uh, they've started operating on that trans-pacific route so um, uh, linking taiwan to uh, los angeles you know and that's a crowded market to be in but you know again they see an opportunity there they see an opportunity for transit connections in particular transiting through so probably not just the Taiwanese market but it is interesting to see that these projects carried on and you know in Australia at the start of the year quite a big launch there Bonza which came into the market and you know a, a domestic operator there it's quite interesting that the airline actually trimmed back a few of its routes cut a few of those back but you know the, the as the chief executive was saying it's Actually, when you think about the number of routes they launched, I think it was 27, they were actually cutting single degree uh, or single digit percentage capacity. And, you know, that's pretty normal for a kind of low cost churn. Um, Mm. And, you know, I think what's what's interesting in, in that case is, you know, you've got an airline which is, you know, most of the routes they're operating on are uncontested, are unique routes. And so, you know, they're trying to, you know, to some extent, stay out of the way of um, of the main competition. I guess, you know, something that Volatir maybe has done in Europe and sort of create new markets. I think you can never tell which of these airlines is going to find the right market at the right time and have the, you know, the right model. But what's clear is that there are always new players willing to try something. And that's the thing. Yeah. What- at least I think in the case with Bonzi, you can see, as you say, there's a when you talk about the, what is the 30 second pitch, whatever, for the airline. It's, as you say, Volatir is probably a good example in Europe of a sort of equivalent way or attempting to connect secondary airports that aren't connected by the, the, the incumbent players. And, you know, on paper that there's a there's a story there and something that theoretically could you know be financially successful. We know that yeah, that's not guaranteed. You know, the airline business is notoriously low margin and and in many cases there may be a reason why markets are unconnected by the incumbent players it might not necessarily just be that they don't have the capacity or 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 will to to move into them but i think in the case as you talked about with starlux the other thing is they're kind of pitch themselves as a boutique sort of premium carrier so they're as you say on the trans-pacific market bringing while that is quite crowded that they're at least trying to bring something a bit different to it and it's a you know a growth market as well, but bringing people into to Asia via that route. So there's kind of a story there. But that said, of course, the, you know just because you're you find a niche or you you think you've got a USP or you know it looks good on paper, it, you know. So we look at Redway in the the US. So only started flying a, a few months ago. Their kind of pitch was to be uh, you know, they saw an underserved market out of Lincoln. Nebraska, where they felt that there was a big enough local population to sustain the carrier. People were traveling to to airports further away. They were kind of, um, they handled all the customer facing stuff. They were using Global Crossing for actually operating the flights. 
Um, but, you know, they failed in, 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 the, in the past few days, ceased operations and pointing out the supply side challenges and the costs of doing business at the moment. And we, as we talked about in the first half, I think the, the high costs of being an airline at the moment, as much as yields are decent, I think as a startup, you're going to feel them even more strongly. Um, you know, leasing costs, for example, you know, everyone wants leased aircraft at the moment. So you're not going to get anything bargain basement there, I think it's fair to say. So, but yeah, I think Redway show that that finding the niche isn't it's clearly not always enough no it remains a challenging market no doubt about it okay i think that's where we will leave it for this week lewis thanks for your time thank you graham as a quick reminder you can uh, please subscribe to the podcast if you've enjoyed it and we would love it if you would leave a review you can of course look at all the stories we've talked about today on flightglobal.com and we will see you again next time <laughs>